0: Hey friends, my name's Stevie Taylor, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. My guest today is drummer, producer and DJ Ian Jones. Best known as the drummer for New Zealand band Supergroove. Jonesy also played with um, Alex Lloyd, Jenny Morris, Jesus Christ Superstar, Kate Sobrano, Christina New and that's just to name a few. In this chat we talked about Ian's early days growing up in New Zealand, jamming with the local acts that used to roll through town, uh, landing the Jesus Christ Superstar gig and all the challenges that came with that, um, his time uh, in Alex Lloyd's band. And especially as Time in Supergroup, as they were the the biggest band in New Zealand at the time, um, well, I think. Um, and being such a fan of the band, it was it was cool to hear how they sort of navigated their way through it all. You know, um, it's a great story. Uh, I've been looking forward to uh, meeting Ian for a while, so um, please enjoy. So, ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Ian Jones. Cheers. I think we're rolling. Cheers. Let's I- do it. Ian Jones. Hello, sir. What's going on?
1: Oh, just coming out to your wonderful abode to speak about <laughs> myself.
0: Because that's what we do. We talk about ourselves.
1: That's right. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a musician after all. Yes. all. One thing I like doing after playing is talking about myself.
0: <laughs> it's all about the hang, eh? Yeah, all about the hang. Yeah, definitely. yeah. Uh, you you went out to the rally last night. Yeah, I did. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I um... To save, save uh,
1: Sydney's music scene. Yeah, I, th- I thought uh, last night's one was uh, like the Keep Sydney Open rally I went to, um, and that that felt that felt very like electronic music oriented, you know, because that's I live in parallel universes with that, and I felt like I was with my electronic music music buddies then. But last night felt like all musics, all demographics. Uh, it, it really feels like it's um, yeah, it's it's touched a nerve with with basically anyone who has anything to do with music. And it was great seeing guys like Michael Chug, who's just an absolute icon of the mm. live festival scene and Australian music in general, just lay down some awesome truths about stuff and watching... <laughs> there would have been so many kids there going, I don't know who this crusty old mm. dude is, but, you know, I, I like what he's saying. Yeah. Um, and it just felt great. felt really mm. good. So I'm super glad I went down there.
0: Not sure if it worked because I read today that, that the... Um the thing that's supposed to pass Parliament on the first of March may still be going ahead yeah
1: well they I mean the thing is every time they come up with these things they they're not really concerned about being right, they're concerned about getting it through if it gets through, it means that the next election they can say they did something, yeah. And it's, I uh, I don't know, there's something particularly, I don't go, want to go on too much of a political rant. That's cool. But there's a, there's something about New South Wales in general that the, the governments always feel like they treat it like a bit of an ATM. You've got everywhere you go is a fee, everything, you can charge for everything. Anything that's a bit of sort of can't be controlled or monetized, is they, they seem to get a bit sort of, they want to control it. I mean, getting festivals to be run by the Liquor Licensing Bureau and stuff, I mean... Mm. It couldn't be more cynical. Even with the original lockouts happened and when you look at the lockout mark and it just went, Oops, we're just gonna scoot around the casino here and you're yeah. like, Oh, come on, man. Yeah. You know, and it's it's just stuff like that. It's just so blatantly cynical. And and eventually they'll it'll reach a tipping point. I don't know if last night was it, but it was definitely definitely a good um good sign. Yeah, that's good. Cool man. All right. Let's, let's um, catch up with some old friends too. Yeah, that's that's good. It's, a, it's so funny, so it's a big hang people, so many people you don't see and it's like you you run, it's oh yes, of course you're here. No, I promise I'll call. Yeah, I haven't yeah, seen yeah. you in years. <laughs> we need more of these political things so we yeah, can. Yeah, we together can get and together. Have a chat. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, that's cool.
1: So you uh you were born in England?
0: Yeah, I yep. was uh, born in Liverpool,
1: mm-hmm. um, home of the Beatles. Yep. Uh and that's that, that, I always thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, um, my mum and dad are still very much Liverpudli, and even though they've lived in Wellington now for God forty something years, yep. But in their house, it's basically Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, so Liverpool was a good good starting place. I don't know if it really affected my music, but I definitely, I definitely wanted to join the Liverpool soccer team when I was a kid. I used to run around in my little red Liverpool uniform on when I lived in Ross on the west coast of the South Island. Mm-hmm. So. um Yeah, that that was kind of my thing, and um, I was pretty lucky actually because I was not exactly the most open-minded town to arrive in in the early seventies. Old Ross, there's only like not even three hundred people live there. Uh, If people aren't familiar with it, it's kind of like on the west coast of the South Island of New Zealand, Mm -hmm. uh, about twenty kilometers south of Hokitika. Mm and it's, it was just like, holy shit. So you're a little six-year-old Liverpudlian kid with a sick Liverpudlian accent mm. stuck in this little school. I used to get the shit kicked out of me every day. I used really? to get teachers making fun of me in class. It was just horrible. And um, I got really lucky when um, they built a house. We were the last house in the street. Uh, they built a house next to us, which... Had a big shed, and I was like, "Oh, what's this all about?" Turns out it was um, it was a bus, a new bus service that had opened up, and that was where the bus driver was going to live for the high school. Right. Just <laughs> this could be a long story, guys. So stay <laughs> with me. Uh, there was this uh, woman who moved next door with her three sons called Velda, and I, I just we could see into her kitchen from from our kitchen, and I just saw this drum set in her living room through our kitchen and I just walked over and said, Oh, Hey, can I have a look at the drums? And she had a Hammond organ set up. She had a P bass and a, and a, a Strat. I didn't know there were P basses or Strats back then. Yeah. But, and this drum kit. And she showed me one beat. I think there was a guy in town who showed me, had a drum kit, but I, I, I played it a bit, but never really cottoned on. But Velda would let me just go over to her house. And play her drums And she'd play guitar And we did this for ages um, And it must have Drove her kids nuts Because it well, actually I'd, Her kids weren't really musical She was super musical So she'd either play Sweet Spanish Harlem On the organ And I'd have my one Boom boom drum beat Which Basically I would have thought I was Tony Williams Back then playing that Because it felt like The hardest thing I'd ever played Yeah But that was a really Great release From the amount of Shit that I'd get All day at school yeah. And running home From bullies to being in the safety of my house and also having the safety of Velda's house to sort of go to. Uh, And also, luckily enough at that time as well, there was a a chap called Gavin who was a bit of a, I mean, Ross is a bit of a weird town. So uh, Gavin was this bit of a renegade kid and his uncle had given him like boxes and boxes of 45s. So we would just listen to one eyed one horn flying purple people leader and all these fifty things, fifties uh, and sixties records nonstop all day, every day when we went at school. So then you jump on the drums. I was like, oh, I can hear oh that's a snare drum and that's where the kick drum is and I learned how to learn tunes from like mm. that. Mm. Um and then fast forward after doing that for a couple of years when we moved to Kowodov in the Bay of Plenty, I got asked to sit in in my friend's dad's band because I was all mouthy and like yeah man I can play the drums I'm so good and never played in a band yeah. uh, apart from playing with Velda yeah. and um yeah he, he called me on it and he said yeah oh well dad's playing at uh, some you know community hall this weekend for a wedding he wants you to come down and sit in and I was like oh and uh, so my mum drove me down there. I sat in with the band, and he played every song that me and my mate Gavin had been listening to. Oh, awesome. And it was just like – like, you, Did you know the set list, or he just called them out? He just called them yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, cool. And it was just like, I know this song. Yep. And the next one was, I know this song. Yep. And it was just like two hours later, I just you know, nailed all of the stuff. And, then, and this is when I was about maybe 11 years old. About three weeks after that, the drummer who was leaving sold me his – sort of second kit with a couple of cymbals. I think it was like Peisty Rude 14-inch hats and peisty Rude 16-inch crash ride and this old Yamaha kit. And then I played with um, this guy who was actually called Barry Gibb, not the mm. Barry Gibb. Yeah. I think we'd be having a quite a different story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he was, he was great. So that that's basically, in a nutshell, the coming from Liverpool and then ended up at the, the start of my drumming career was basically doing these restaurant gigs, maybe three to four nights a week, six yep. to seven hours each. Yep. I think I think there's a lot of musicians of my age who might have a similar story. I don't think there's yep. many musicians I know who just went, yeah, yeah, I just played a couple of hours a day. It's like, Yeah, nah. yeah. Whenever you got your first gig, it was like six or seven hours playing yep. everything. Yep. And it was, you didn't even think about it. You'd come home at three in the morning and you'd be 11, 12 years old. My parents were fantastic. They really trusted Barry, so even though I think he was a bit of a drinker. But um, <laughs> they really trusted him to get me there and back, Yeah, um, which is quite amazing. I don't know if you'd really do that nowadays.
0: You wouldn't, no. 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 But, um, so so what, all the gigs in, in Kawarau, or you were just you, you just touring um, the Bay of Plenty?
1: All just around the Bay of Plenty. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um,
1: but just weird, you know, like, <laughs> I'm thinking back to it. Like, if you went to a restaurant now and you're trying to have your curry mm. – and there's a rock and roll band playing yeah, in the corner, no. you'd get the shits. Yep. But back then we'd be we'd be playing um I didn't I can't remember the names of the, the guys, early Elvis stuff. Barry Gibb was mad on Elvis. Right. So treat me like a fool ding ding, 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 ding <laughs> do, 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 do. You know. Um and you'd you play variations on that for hours and try and be quiet and then yep. pick it up at the end. Must have been terrible, but I just thought it was normal and then you get fifty bucks a yep. night and Yep. You know, when you were a kid, I thought I just blew it all on BMX bikes. Yeah, I think.
0: yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, for me it was skateboards. Yeah, skateboards. Yeah, all, all my gig money was skateboards. Yeah. So was it? Yeah I, I, yeah, I would have been. I don't think I'd be a millionaire now. But geez, I sort of wish
1: my folks had yeah. just gone. Hey, man, how about we take half of that and just put it aside? Right? Yeah. I think they were glad that they didn't have to cover me for anything. Yeah. It's like, oh, how much are you making this week? Oh, I should make a couple of hundred bucks. Okay, you need a new pair of school yeah, shoes. Yeah. Okay.
0: And your board's gone up. And your, <laughs> your board exactly. <laughs>
1: yeah. But they were, they were fantastic. I mean, um it was also around that time I my parents uh, when you grow up in Colorado, you're not really you're not really geared towards like you're going to university and stuff like that. Colorado's mm-hmm. got this really big pulp, pulp and paper mill there, so Okay. You I think it's still there. So it's very much a case of what trade are you going to do. Mm. So you're going to be a fitter and turner, or you're going to be an instrument maker. or And, and, in, and in real terms, it was very um, – it was great. I mean, you had this one pool of work, and I've got friends now who um, make a really good living on the trades that they got from there. But,
0: God, I don't know what my
1: parents were letting me do, but when I was about 14, I said – because around 14 they start sort of uh, grooming you a little bit, like, hey, where, what are you into? What yep. do you like to do? Yep. Because at fifteen, they're going to send you off. Sure. And I was like, I was like, no, I'm a drummer. I yeah. Like, right. This is what I do. And they're like, well, okay. And rather, they didn't fight it. They, I was just so matter of fact about it. I, you know, I, I mean, just come home from school every day and and play and until dinner time, and then eat dinner, and then I wasn't allowed to play after dinner because you know neighbors had to watch. Yep. You know close to home or whatever well, of it was. Course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But then I'd I'd BMX for the rest of the night. But yeah. it was every single day, and it was either playing or gigging. So I guess they really had no choice. And uh yeah, here I am now man. Yeah.
0: <laughs> thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: who needed to be a fitter and turner yeah, what, yeah. what have they ever done for the world? <laughs> Bloody fitters and turners
0: <laughs> Yeah, very good. So so when when did you sort of realise On, oh, I think I need to get out of and and take this a little bit further? Um, Was well, there a moment?
1: Not really. The, mm-hmm. One of the blessings and curses of my parents uh, being Liverpudlian is they never felt settled. I don't think it's just because they're Liverpudlian, but I think a lot of... I think any sort of um, migrant sort of family, if you don't feel embedded in the community, you're kind of always looking around. So okay. by the time we hit Kaurau, we'd basically been to two or three other places. Like we originally lived in in Lower Hutt when we very first moved out. Oh,
0: okay. Yep. You know,
1: And then back in Wellington. Then we got the offer to go down to Ross, and then we went to Kawero and Right, okay. So know, Ross
0: wasn't first.
1: Oh, no, Ross right. was really okay. just the first time that I'd um, – the, the drums. The drums. Okay, gotcha. Stuff. Yep. And uh, – so, yeah, uh, and by the time – and so in Kauru, I, what what was great about that place, right, and great about New Zealand, and I think the – what was great about the 80s in general, I think, for Australia and New Zealand, was bands would just play anywhere. Yep. So you had the one venue – and they would come through on the rec So you'd uh, I'd go down and see the dance exponents I'd see Midge Marsden uh, You know, I'd see the Legionnaires And I'd be a little shit, man I'd go down there and I knew they were going to sound check between 3 and 5 <laughs> So I went home from school And I went in, and I went into the restaurant part of the bar Because I knew I'd be in there And as soon as I heard the first guy I'd go Kick, dump. I was like, okay, that's me. And I ran in there, and I'd be like, hi, hi, hi. Hey, can I ever go in the drums? Can I ever go in the drums? I was that's that little, cool, man. I was that little small town shit. That's that, awesome. That like, the, If the guys had been there before, like Midge used to joke, like um, he, when I'd walk in, he'd look at his watch and go, you're a bit late, mate. <laughs> Is and without, I think, God, I wish I could remember his drummer's name, but he was so generous and magnanimous to me, and Midge would always let me sit in on a song at soundcheck. I don't know whether it was just to shut me the fuck up or just because uh, he's just got such a big heart. Yeah. So um, I really owe Midge a debt of gratitude for giving me the confidence. I love the way the drum kit felt through <clears throat> microphones. I think a lot of drummers will remember the first time they played it, how different your drums sound from when you're clanging away in your room. Mm-hmm. And also when you get on a professional drummer's kit, mm-hmm. you know, this, this guy had a... It was the First time I'd heard a floor tom just go go, yeah. and ring out. You go, oh man, I want more of that. Yeah, you know, and so and I do that with all the bands. Some of them were nicer than others. Uh, and then, so, so I didn't really have a pivotal moment where I thought I've got to leave Kawarau because I felt like everything was coming to me. But I was just lucky that my parents got Jack of being there. Okay, and moved back to Wellington. Right. And so, through good fortune of that, and I think I was about seventeen at the time. Yep. Didn't really want to do the last year of high school, mm-hmm. and I just I and and Wellington just had a mad jazz scene, and I'd always been fascinated with that, and mm-hmm. Joe Morello and all those cats. And Wellington just was like, it was just buzzing. It mm-hmm. was you know up and down Cuba Street in Wellington. Yep. I don't think there was a place that didn't have a band, a small band, or a guy on acoustic guitar. Everyone wanted to play with you. Everyone wanted to play with everyone else. <laughs> it was absolutely amazing, and that's that was that to me
0: was like as good as it got. When <laughs> you're yeah. seventeen, it's like, yeah,
1: man, I'm the king of this town. Yeah, that's cool.
0: Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, and were you trying to sit in with doing doing your little um. Annoying Jonesy thing and oh, thankfully pop it I into... <laughs>
1: Thankfully, I'd grown up a bit so. Oh, okay. <laughs> but but what had happened is I did keep contact with a few guys, and when they did come through, I'd I'd sort of hang out. So I intuitively networked. I mean, bear, bear in mind I was pretty young back then when I was being a nag. Um, so I'm talking, you know, twelve and thirteen. And okay. <laughs> Some might say I'm still that guy. But... <laughs> But I just, I just really wanted to play, and yep. then Wellington was great because everyone wanted to play with you, and it was just a matter of getting the bookings. Yep. Um, the only, <clears throat> uh, without taking too much of a left turn, uh, Wellington was around the same time that I started having a few mental issues. <laughs> Sorry, folks.
0: <laughs> have we all got a Men's <laughs> all <Yeah>, good. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, and they were always there, but they were starting to have an effect mm. on. Um, my day-to-day sort of stuff, which was a bit annoying. And I failed because of this. I sort of, um, I failed to get into the jazz conservatorium there three times, three years in a row. And it really spun me out. Like right. it really spun me out. So uh, it, I'm do, not. Can, do you like, mind if
0: I ask, was it like an anxiety or a depression?
1: Uh, it was, yep. I would like if I, you know, but people. Like, what would you say to your former self? I'd say, go to a freaking psychiatrist. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, I've, I need, I would say that to any
0: any. So user, on, I'm a, I'm a basket case too. Don't worry. About it. oh,
1: <laughs> it's it's I the I went and saw a therapist for the first time in my whole life two years ago. Best, oh, okay. Best thing I ever did. Yeah. Absolute best thing because, um, you. As musicians, I think we tend to be self-diagnostic. Mm-hmm. We tend to, you know, be, because we've, from a very young age, it's all about you doing this one thing. And, and in my case, I was very reliant on um, validation all the time. Okay. So when you're the one kid, one little genius drummer kid in a small town where there's no other drummers around, yeah, you know, people go, oh, you're so good. And then you get to Wellington and you're happy that you're playing, but mm. now there's maybe ten other drummers and they're all pretty good. Yep. You know, and my ego probably wouldn't let me say it, but there was even probably a couple of guys better than me.
0: Yep. <laughs> yeah,
1: You know, and that yep. screws with your head a bit. Mm-hmm. And I would have been great to have spoken to someone and get them just to, you know, I wish I'd been focused more on the music and less about my ego. So I think in my right. case, it was very much an ego-driven thing.
0: Okay.
1: Um, but anyway, to, I'm still here and everything's great. But I awesome. just, just to muse those out there, yeah. uh, we live in – if you're in Aust- listening to this in Australia, we have a great health system where you get six free sessions, Yep. go to your doctor, get it sorted out. It's the best thing you'll do. Yep. Yeah, so Wellington, man, it was uh, – the pivotal point – I, I did actually try and escape New Zealand. I went and lived in Germany for, and London for about a year and a half, two years. Mm-hmm. But I think everyone kind of does that. Um, and the best thing about um, doing that was, <clears throat> firstly, I think as and musicians, we tend to have a bit of an inferiority complex. We think everyone out there is better. But weirdly... We tend to practice, like I practice to records in my room. I was practicing to Steve Gadd. I was practicing to the best drummers on the planet, trying Mm -hmm. to get good compared to them. Yep. Um, And I think a lot of musicians and drummers, especially drummers, I think, in New Zealand, do that. And I think I got a bit surprised when I ended up in Frankfurt and I was like, hey, everyone's just... Kind of the same as good <laughs> you know? yeah right, I went to the States, and everyone was kind of as good went to London, everyone was kind of as good, and the only thing that was really different was the attitudes towards their playing so thankfully i there was no real music for me to play in Frankfurt for some reason I don't know why I never got into the scene so much, but I did take my first ever drum lessons there when I was about twenty one um, and it was the best thing I did mm. it was just. It took all this kind of um, white noise of musical ideas and yep. drumming and and kind of made me realise it all came from certain points. There was particular – I mean, it sounds ridiculous to say now, but I hadn't even really learned paradiddles. Mm-hmm. I knew I was doing them, obviously. Um, I'd learned some reading, but I'd never <clears> – <throat> there was a guy there called Andreas Neubauer. I don't know what he's doing now, but amazing drummer, like just incredible, um, and he really dug deep onto what was wrong, what I was sort of missing the point with in my playing, and it really stripped it back, and it it did, it it was great. Then I lived in London for a while and played with a bunch of cats there, and then I had an opportunity to come back to New Zealand. Um, I can't remember what exactly for, but it wasn't a very hard decision. It was like, hey, we're putting the kettle on. you want to come back? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll be there soon. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> um, and flew back into Wellington um, and then sort of picked up. Um, but, yeah, then very soon after that came the Jesus, Jesus Christ Superstar auditions, mm-hmm. um, which I suppose in a lot of respects is where I'd probably consider that's where everything changed moving forward from that exact point. So... So that was pretty cool. But from doing the audition or getting the gig. Well, weirdly, I didn't. That when they, uh, I hadn't because while I'd been away, I didn't. I hadn't been aware of the in the round, show. Right. So and I didn't didn't really click how massive it was. Of course, I'd heard of Virgil Donati. I'd I'd watched a video of him just doing. W- Hang on,
0: just tell the people the link to Virgil Donati to Jesus Christ Superstar.
1: Right. Yeah. So.
0: For the, for the people that don't know,
1: so Virgil did the um, the cast album for Jesus Christ Superstar with the Monster Players. The the MD was a guy called David Hirschfelder, who was the main writer for John Farnham and co-wrote oh and Little River Band co- co-wrote a bunch of stuff. Absolute freak, you know. And I think he just does a bunch. I think he yeah, he done a bunch of movies. I don't know what he's doing now, mm-hmm. but at the time it was a pretty big deal. But I kind of missed it all. So when they said they were auditioning for Jesus Christ Superstar, I kind of thought, oh, okay, that's pretty cool, and they need a drum kit for the auditions, can you borrow yours? I said, yeah, no worries. So I actually hadn't even really thought about auditioning for it, to be Mm. honest. So I was setting up my drums, and David was there, it was just me and him in this room, and we were just gas bagging about everything and shooting the shit, as you do. Um and he just started jamming on keyboards and we played for a bit for about twenty minutes. I'm like, oh man, that was cool. Okay, catch around. Give us a call at five when I get picking up my drums. And um, about a week later, I just got offered offered the gig. Oh, is that right? Yeah, and I was like, oh, oh shit. I was like, shit, this is pretty cool. <laughs> did
0: and you did you know what what the audition was Were you there to see any of the auditions and, and compare them to what? What, you sort of jammed?
1: No, I was just the first guy. And I didn't, right, okay. I
0: just, I pretty
1: much finished and it was like, oh, shoot, I've got to go and pick up my mum yeah, from work yeah, or something. And, yeah, 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 um, yeah. Not even realising it's an no. audition. But <laughs> after that, once I started seeing, once uh, my friend Barbara Griffin, um, who's an amazing uh, Kiwi piano player and singer who lives over here, has done for a while um, – she got the gig as well, and we were talking to her. But I was talking to her about it, and it was like, "Oh my god, this is a big deal!" And then I started. I got sent all the music, and I started learning the music, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is really hard music!" Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, especially with Virgil doing the soundtrack. So there was a lot of odd time signatures and awesome fills. And I mean, everyone knows Virgil. I mean, what he did on that cast recording is pretty dope. So mm. I was pretty glad to do that. But um, yeah, so it actually took a long time from the audition to the actual first rehearsal. Okay. And during that time, I started getting, like, really excited about it. Like, holy shit, this is a really big deal. This is For New Zealand anyway, you know. Yep. I mean, there's a thousand stage shows a week out here. But in New Zealand, to take something as massive as the In the Round, bring it and turn it into a theatre show in New Zealand, uh, I think Margaret Ehrlich was still doing it. Okay. Uh, John wasn't doing it, but his... God, I've got such a bad memory for this stuff. John Stevens? Uh John, yeah, John had done the um he done the Australian one. Uh-huh. Uh but his brother Frankie Stevens, right, was in this one as um oh, I can't remember. That. He, Frankie's amazing, but yeah. Way. Yeah. Um what a character. And a bunch of other sort of, you know, stars and stuff. Yeah. Um a really amazing cast. But weirdly, <clears throat> so As a small caveat and a kick in the balls just before I got 100% signed off, we all met up in Auckland to sign contracts. And this is actually an interesting – the beginning – sorry, everyone, this is a long story, but the beginning of this Jesus Christ Superstar thing echoes something that happened at the end of Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, So I was just about to sign the contract, and they said we – sorry – we're not going to sign you off on your contract just yet. And it just flipped my head out. Um, they said David Hirschfelder um, has just been contacted by Kerry Buchanan. Um, oh. <laughs> who, you know, I, in my head, I'd met Kerry a couple of times. We were a pretty similar age. And he'd come through with his dad's big band to my school and he just killed it. Yeah. Just yeah. a month. Even at 16. Yeah, he's a special years, player, man. Yeah, yeah. Sight reading shit yeah. and just like. Symbols up here Symbols up here yep. yep. But so centred in the drums yep. And he just seemed to me like this mentally amazing solid cat And he's a great yep. guy too to boot You know, sure. it was like, oh, come on uh, <laughs> um, And when I heard There's got to be something wrong with there's you There's
0: got to be something wrong
1: there <laughs> And um, when I was told that um Kerry had expressed interest I'm like, oh, just my stomach turned Oh yeah. And this is back to, you know if if I was a bit mentally, if I was probably a much more of a rounded individual at the time and was was working on myself a bit more, it probably wouldn't have I would have been a little bit more philosophical about it, but I, I just dive bombed, you know, it was horrible. Mm. So I had about 48 hours while every one of my friends and after this, Oh my God, we've got the gig. We're playing together. But my friend, Lance Sewell was playing guitar and Gary Verburn, um, if you're listening from New Zealand, you'd know these guys, um, uh, Darren on bass, and of course Barbara on keyboards. uh, My friend Simon on trumpet. It was just like this team. It was like God. I know all these people. These are my best buddies. And then it was like you might not be doing it. Um, And then, but thankfully, uh, look. I think it was. I think it wasn't really a case of hey, we're gonna. We're not confident in what you're able to do, Ian. We just need to explore this one avenue, and. I took it very personally, but I don't think it was personal at all. I yep. think it was as plain as just, "Hey, we've got to give Kerry the courtesy yep. of doing it." Um, and I <laughs> look if Kerry's listening, uh, it, it's certainly not a case of I thought, "Yeah, I beat Kerry I because it, you know i I was just shit scared. I just thought, honestly, he was going to come and just roll in and just blaze through it, and mm. I'd lose the gig. So. Um, and I'm glad that didn't happen. Um, and I felt I f- I felt
0: fairly validated that I was a half decent musician. Okay, so what so what happened? Did Kerry come in and play play some, or I don't know. did he just not? Or, or you don't know? You're not privy to it.
1: I don't know. I mean, maybe okay. <laughs> this is pretty funny. I mean, I'm, I'm making quite a big deal of this. It might have been
0: meh to Kerry, like,
1: meh. you know, I put my threw my hat in the ring, whatever. It's just a gig. Yeah. Um so I, I think it was more a case of just hey Dave wanted to have a chat to him. Okay. It could have even been saying are you available and he probably went yeah no. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, I finally landed it and um, I was super lucky that it, it's probably the the one gig I've I can play from memory. Probably not now, but at the time I'd learned it so deeply and dedicated so much energy to it, I could start the start the show off in my head, air drum through every single thing right to the very last encore, like a one and a half, two hour show. And when we hit the first rehearsal, that's exactly how it panned out. And it was just absolutely fantastic experience for, oh God, six months, seven months. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. It was just...
0: How many shows a week?
1: uh, Oh my God. Two Saturday, Sunday, I want to say, and then maybe eight. Oh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. And uh, look, the, the 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 pit band had the easiest part of it all, but the um, the actual singers on stage, they would have their shit changed every day. Oh right. They'd be like, mm, you know, last night we didn't like that harmony there. and you, oh, okay. you three, if you could do this, and I was just, my, I was like, holy shit! I'm glad he's not making me do that because I yeah. would be shit.
0: Yeah. Um, so you you went reading. I didn't have to. No, no, but it w- if um if they had done that and chucked the chart, changed the chart, would you have been been good with that?
1: No, I would have sucked. Right. Yeah. Um. Now, weirdly, um, ironically, all the time I probably should have been reading charts. I wasn't reading charts. Yep. And now when I learn, it's like uh, if I I, if I learn a whole set for an artist I'm playing with and I'm learning, I will, and if it's to a backing track. I'll actually go in and create a chart, save it as a movie and then sync it with the backing track so that the charts screw you know, it's just weird that I'm doing that now.
0: No, no, whatever works for yeah. you.
1: Man. <laughs> um I, think, but it's, it's I weird, think that's really clever. It's a weird flip side now. I tend not to learn tracks as deeply as I would have back then. Yep. Um back then when I learned music, man, I was inside it, you know. I was just gotcha, like it? if it needed to push or pull, things would still work. Whereas now I'm a little bit more of a um a sequencer. Okay. Uh, there's still a bit of funkiness, man. Yeah, I know, I a know. Bit of funkiness. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So, um, so JC it was amazing. I, I, I think there's a lot of say cats out there. I know you're speaking to Joe Acaria the other week, mm-hmm. and you know, it's a great experience. You're in this cocoon with heaps of people, and you're all pushing at the same thing and the same interests, and you know, you you feel as a musician like you're really proud of what you're doing. Yep. Um, you know. My drums were. I had my electronics. I was playing. I put a lot of effort into trying to cover all the parts and be able to make the sounds right. Yep. Um, yeah, it was really. It was a great period to be to be playing drums at that particular time. Ooh. So yeah, um, and then of course I didn't actually realise that uh, we. We'd, I'll just backpedal a bit. We we were told that they because the show was so successful, we were taking it to Australia. Yep. And I it's just like.
0: God, Australia, this is where all the good players go.
1: <laughs> um, and, uh, and then I got about a, three weeks out from the final shows. I, got a, um, I had to go to the office, and I thought I was signing the contract for Australia. And they said, sorry, you're not coming. Virgil Donati has a, has a verbal agreement with David Hirschfelder that if the show ever landed back in Australia he would have first option on the drum chair. Oh shit. Fuck. <laughs> and holy moly. Um, oh, man. So this kind of bugged me out quite a bit. Really yeah, gave me a, it was a bit of a bummer, like a real bummer. Yeah. Um like if if the show had been replaced completely with Australian talent? Yep, yep. That might be fine, but we had a show of I think there was a maybe I want to say 50 or 60 people in the cast. Maybe it was a bit less, I don't know. Out of that 50 or 60, there was <clears throat> one of the cast members who, didn't, who was a little bit older and didn't want to be in Australia for all that time, so she decided to leave the show. There was the trombone player who they weren't going to use trombone in the orchestrations for the Australian thing. He didn't really mind. He was, he had a, he'd started a clothing company, so he was pretty keen, <clears throat> and me. <laughs> and I really didn't want to leave because I yeah. loved it, and I wanted the I wanted to be Johnny Big Nuts and go to Australia. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but anyway, so yeah, I was pretty devastated about that, and I'm not proud to say, but you know, I let my performances at the show kind of suffer. I stopped caring, which is shit because if you know, I'm a, I'm a professional. professional yeah, yeah, and you should you should just get your shit together and sort it out. You know. Yeah. Uh, but I was pretty emotional about it. Yeah. Um but then, uh, as a nice segue, during this time I Gary Verburn, the guitarist, um, said, Hey man, look, I know you're pretty bummed out, but <clears throat> there's this band called Supergroove, have you heard of them? And I was like, Yeah, man, I was just watching can't get enough It just come out and yep. I was obsessed. I was like the beats were fantastic, yeah. the track was dope and he goes, Hey, I don't I know you're a bit bummed out and I don't want to get your hopes up but give Joe a call. He's the bass player and uh, they're looking for a drummer. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. I could not believe it. Mm. And I was still pretty devo from the whole JC thing because we still had another two weeks to go. Right. Um, but I spoke to Joe and he goes, Hey man, well, <clears throat> um, Gary's told me about you. Uh, I'm going to be down in Wellington for the flying fish video awards next week. Why don't we catch up? Now the thing about Supergroove, um, is that they're like a cottage industry? So Joe, the bass player, directs the videos. Carl, the lead singer, rapper dude, produced all the records. Um, ben, the guitarist, did all the graphic design. Right. You know, it was one of those kind of yeah things. So Joe had uh, was getting an award for some other videos he direct. Oh, for supergroup videos he directed. Um, and so a week later he comes down. We have a great time, Get absolutely drunk and uh, he <laughs> he crashed I, I was staying in a hotel and it had two single beds he literally crashed like a vampire in his clothes on his back <laughs> with his arms crossed and then jumped up in the morning and and headed to the airport and then uh, he said we're going to be down in Wellington I think on Saturday doing a show which just happened to be the last night of Jesus Christ Superstar and uh, we'd love you to come on the road with us and I was like fuck that's amazing
0: had they heard you play? No. Nah. Oh, right. Okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they hadn't even seen how I looked. Then. Man, at that time, I was just, oh, was a, oh, man, I'm not Mr. Cool now, but back then, bro, I was like wearing these big jackets full of colors and <laughs> my hair all green. I yeah, awesome. I was. Like, yeah. <clears throat> I was like, yeah, man. We used to have a joke that everyone from Wellington wore red shoes yeah. because we we're so zany. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was one of those zany guys. so yeah. They did not even see me, you know. <laughs> so... Essentially, I'd gone to see the, the last, very last day of Jesus Christ Superstar before we'd start the show. I went down to their sound check and I walked in with this ridiculous jacket on. And, and Joe said, Hey guys, Ian's going to be playing. Uh, yeah. So everyone was already on stage sound checking. Joe jumped off the stage, come down by the mixing desk to, to see me and say, Hey man, good to see you again. <laughs> He's walking back up to the stage going, Hey guys, this is Ian. He's going to be playing drums for us. And every single one of the guys in the band did not say shit. They just looked at me like, oh, dude, Joe, what have you done, man? Oh, I was it's like, hey, that, that, that a little, you know, this freaking clown he'd put up. And then eventually Shay was like, hey, bro, how's it going? Good to meet you. And, you know, but it was just, I was very cold. And then yeah. I walked back out to my JC gig <laughs> thinking, oh, I don't have this gig. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> They hate me Yeah, But you know Sure enough I, Just as I was playing The last cymbal crash uh, For the last song Of Jesus Christ Superstar I'd, I started packing my drums And as I took them out the back There's the stage guy I think T.O. was his name With the van And my drums just went out Of the orchestra pit Of Jesus Christ Superstar Into the back of the supergroup van and, um, <clears throat> God, and that was that. Went, went to the show. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing, right? So a lot of people don't know this. So it wasn't like I just suddenly joined Supergroove. Yep. My drums went in the van. My ass went in the van with the other band members. But Paul Russell, the original drummer, still playing drums. Yep. Once I, <laughs> once I was actually in the band touring, I started getting the backstory, And I was told that Paul was leaving uh, because he was uh, a devout Christian. And one of the songs uh, that Supergroove played uh, used to say fuck quite a lot in it. And he had asked the guys to, you know, can we not play that song? And basically it was like, no, your religion's not going to get in the way of our art, blah, blah, blah. I don't really know the whole backstory. I might be getting it wrong. Um, but Paul just said, okay, I'm leaving. So I was in the Supergroove. Van on tour while Paul was still in the band for another two weeks, right? And he's the best freaking guy. He didn't, he never bitched at me once, he never uh, made me feel stink at all. Didn't, if anything, he was super helpful. Was it wasn't, wasn't like we were all just like, hey, let's go to the bar and drink, yeah? I understand, yeah. but um, super dope. Mm. And you know, here's another thing, too, man, like his parts. On that first record, I mean, oh, fuck. I almost feel a bit ridiculous when I talk about Supergroove because a lot of people don 't realize it 's not me on the first record mm-hmm. it 's Paul Russell, yep. I mean that guy 's the baddest motherfucker man mm-hmm. um, I still you know I was super lucky to get to play those parts for as long as I did because yep. there 's not one night i 've got on stage with Supergroove and not loved
0: every single one of those drum parts, yeah, um, but that 's another story
1: mm-hmm.
0: at which stage in the Super Groove Projectory, did this happen?
1: Um, look, this... The
0: tra- traction was out.
1: It, ju- it had just been out for two weeks.
0: Oh, that early so, Oh, right, so, okay.
1: And it was doing really well. And this is the thing, man. I mean, I got... I scored big time. Y- yeah. I scored. Yeah, right. Paul um, and the band... Because this is another thing, you know, band... <laughs> it sounded like the old, oh, you don't know how hard it was in my day. But by the time I joined supergroup they they had done a national tour for every song they released, uh-huh. so even if they didn 't do well, so they released a song do a national tour, and they used to do it on the Rough man, yep, when I joined the band, they used to get seventeen dollars fifty a day per diems. they paid themselves uh-huh. that was five dollars for breakfast, five dollars for lunch, and seven fifty for dinner. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was just like jesus i can 't live on that, yeah, um, and so. <laughs> When I joined the band, I, I said, look, this has to go up to 30 bucks. But they, that's, that's another story. <laughs> but they, that, that's how tight they were, you know. Yep. Um, and so Paul had put in all that hard work and also became, also honed as drumming because of the band. Uh, so by the time they recorded Traction, um, songs like Can't Get Enough, which is probably like, man, if, if you're a drummer out there and you want to Know how to write good drum parts. Get the Super Groove Traction album yeah. <laughs> because Paul did an amazing job. Um, yeah, so that they'd done all the hard work, and by the time I joined, uh, the trajectory of the band was was on the incline. Yep. So I uh, the first the last two weeks that Paul was playing wasn't I don't think it was part of the Traction tour.
0: Oh right, okay, yeah. Yep.
1: Um, I don't know that for sure. Maybe it was, or maybe it was in the middle. Mm-hmm. But there was a three week break. In between that, where um, <clears throat> I actually learned how to play the supergroup songs, but uh, as I I had learnt the arrangements of the songs, but I hadn't clicked that these were parts, real parts. Yep, these weren't get a little bit of it right. Oh, you, as long as you get the intro, to can't get enough. Get You could do whatever you want after that. Uh uh-uh, no, nah. I sat on sound soundcheck on one of the shows and. If if me if them meeting me for the first time made me feel like they were bummed about me being the band, m- me playing with them, I could just feel the yeah just feel the room just went cold and yeah, right, very quiet right. when we right. finished and they were just like no nah, man that's not it. it that's not it I've got to do some work.
0: Oh, um, they straight up said that straight up
1: yeah <laughs> straight up. <laughs> it's what you want. It's it was. Oh, yeah, heavy. Uh, but to their credit, we, we got a, when we got back, I was staying on Carl's couch uh, while I was there. So we talked about the music a lot. And then we go rehearse uh, with me, Carl, and Tim. So Tim's the trumpet player, but also he's a really, really good drummer as well. Got great drum ideas. Sorry, Mike. Um, <clears throat> so it was a kick and a snare and I think just the two toms and no cymbals. And they were sat around the hi-hat. And we start off at the beginning. I think we start off with Bugs and Critters, which <laughs> is just quite an intricate drum part. It goes. And that's what Tim was doing by the hi hat. And he grabbed my stick. No. Nope. <laughs> and we went bar by bar by bar by bar. Right. And then we go back to the beginning and do it again bar by bar by bar by bar. And we did that for the whole set. Yep. So as much as paul wrote the dopest drum tracks man i bled out of my my hands to learn them <laughs> um and it was really it was a great learning experience because up until that point i mean it sounds stupid to say but because i played so much jazz and i was always booked for me, for me to have my own interpretation of things i mean regardless of jesus christ superstar i learned that weirdly i thought i should learn that but not super groove go figure right um but it was one of the first times I really started listening to drum parts. So I started listening to a lot of Soundgarden and a lot, a lot of Tool and all these. Oh, Matt Cameron. Oh, oh you oh, know. Far out. And just the, but they're, they're real part players, you know. And, and I became really obsessed with it. And so all the recordings that it did with Supergroove, moving forward from that on the other stuff that um, we do, I really wanted them to, them to be part-oriented. Um, where you, you're almost programming them. But, yeah, so that that was a bit of a baptism of fire. And uh, and then my first real show with them was great apart from um, having a stomach bug and just vomiting on my drums, but apart from that.
0: First show. First show.
1: And then, yeah, so, so it's a bit of a long-winded way to end up where I was, but it was at that moment after that show, I felt like I was in the band, and that mm. was about a month into joining them. Um, and then it was just, as every mem- every person out there knows, being in a band. Then the rest of the time is just having arguments and being yelled at. Yep, and you know, being part of a family. Yeah, yeah, a really dysfunctional, rough family who right. who doesn't let you off with anything.
0: <laughs> S- sounds, sounds like just a normal band. Just a normal band.
1: <laughs> I tell you what, though, there's a lot of musicians out there who might might be entertaining the concept of being just a session player. And that's totally cool. But there's nothing that will nothing that'll influence you more in your life than joining a band and struggling with other band members. You're all on the same you're all in the same shit, you're all pushing towards the same goal. Uh, you'll be in the same crappy van. Um, unless which sort of happened with Supergroove, but I won't go into that. But unless you're in a band where you've got one a massive publishing Advance come in and only one member of the main rider gets ninety percent of it right. and starts flying private while you're in, the, in a bus, uh, which never really happened to Supergroup. It came close, but it never really happened. Uh, yeah, if everyone's on the same page, being in a band is absolutely amazing. And and I think um, there's a lot of people out there whose lives have been changed for the better for being in a band. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so yeah that that was that was fantastic for me, also growing up um being very a uh, bit of a loner because of the whole coming from overseas and not really fitting in. This is the first time i'd felt like I was part of a team and we were we were going for it so we were I so was, I was with them for oh God, four or five years, just traveling all over the world and doing a bunch of really cool shit playing yeah. some mad shows, and just it just felt great it was just. It was everything as a young drummer that you'd dream for. Basically. Yeah, yeah.
0: You well, know. as a, as a, being a young drummer in New Zealand watching Supergroove, I was I was a fucking awe, man. Oh, it was super the we were just the
1: best. And everything the you're best. hearing was, I yeah. mean, weirdly, I had to be the most rehearsed guy in the band. And right all those is, other I, motherfuckers could jump around and do whatever they want. Yeah, it's like what the hell? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then if I missed up a bit, it was like, "Hey, what are you doing, man? Yeah,
0: yeah. That, that's that's that would would have been an awkward situation. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. fine. I was I yep. was
1: very proud, and I still am very proud of. Um, of my contribution to the live side of that, and obviously the the other recordings. Yep. Uh, what was re-
0: you played on this? That's you on the second album.
1: Yeah, that's me yeah, on the, yeah. The, the Invisible second album, yeah. <laughs> but but also on all the. Um, there's a lot of EPs in between as well. Oh right, there's, okay. there's a song called Next Time. We're all riding bikes in the video. That that's me playing drums
0: on that. Is there a, what's is the video on YouTube? Uh, yeah, it should just Hang be Supergroup Next Time.
1: Writing's not that easy. <laughs> 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 you need Grammarly. Yeah, hi. correct. All right, here we go. You'll be able to see my um, skateboarding skills in this too, right?
0: So where's this? Where's this video recorded? Bondi. Oh, Bondi. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh. So much fun doing this video. I'll link that in the show notes, man. Yeah. So you can watch you can see a skinnier, blonder version of me.
1: <laughs> Wait well, I don't know if I am skinnier there, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I've always been this fat. I can't tell anymore. <laughs> no, I'm definitely definitely skinnier in there. But that, that was that was a good period. Yep. Um, so we were unofficially based here for a while, pretty much in Melbourne, while we were, um, I don't know, solidifying fan bases and all that kind of stuff. Right. And then um, we hit Europe a few times, which was great. I mean, it's it seemed like a big deal <laughs> at the time, and it is a big deal. Uh, but I think the path we were on then is, is pretty common now. I think a lot of us younger Australian bands just do it as part of what they do but Mm. um for a little band from new zealand you know i was like oh my you know playing in india oh my god yeah i know yeah right so it was everything was kind of amazing all the time
0: (laughs) yeah yeah when did you see it start to fall apart
1: i can tell you the exact moment
0: (laughs) if you're allowed to talk about it no totally no
1: if anything um uh thankfully uh Carl from Supergroup did an amazing interview a little while ago because Carl's a he, he's had a lot of his own bands um, and he's doing a good electronic project at the moment um, but he's, he's essentially writes music for um, film and TV so um, I think there was a show about Three hundred words or three hundred letters or something like that it was an Australian show with Australian writer living in New Zealand. Carl's going to kill me. I can't remember it. <laughs> I'll try <laughs> and remember it for the show notes. Um, but yeah, so he he did this great interview about that, and he sort of went through a lot of a lot of the whole background to it. So I think it's all out in the open. But from okay. my from my position looking at it, I was always philosophical about Super Groove and that. I I didn't mean to be, but I really loved every moment I was in the band. But I knew it was ephemeral and it could stop at any time. So when uh, we we were in London and we were lucky enough to be put up at this residential rehearsal studio called Stanbridge, which is um, it's about 20 minutes out of London. It's like a classic old farmhouse, 16th century farmhouse. You'd get ACDC would rehearse there, Phil Collins would rehearse there, um, you know, just... Bonkers, bonkers! Yep. I was yep. staying in Bez's bedroom from Happy Mondays when they were there the other week. I was like, "Oh my god!" Because <laughs> I still love the Happy Mondays. Yeah, you know, I was fascinated with Bez because he's just a freaking weirdo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, but what was happening was Carl and Joe were basically going off and just writing together in, in this little room. And there was every time they'd write something, there was nothing for Shay in there, or it would it would just was just odd. It didn't feel like a band. It felt like Joe and Carl were being very, very serious. They were being very determined to be artists. Because here's a little known fact about Supergroove is uh, Joe, the bass player, um, and Carl wrote the majority of the songs with input from Shay. So um, sitting inside my head is all Joe. Um, I mean, Joe's a bit of a freak. He, you know, video director, amazing bass player. Holy shit, Mm. he's a good bass player. Yeah. And songwriter. So they and Carl was a great songwriter in his own right too. He wrote um Bugs and Critters, all the most of the raps and can't get enough and apart from the ones that Shay wrote and all that kind of stuff. Um uh Scorpio Girls, I think is Carl. But anyway Fuck I love that
0: song. Oh, dude, oh
1: man You wanna have fun playing drums? Yeah, yeah, I oh, yeah. man. Yeah. I don't think there's been a time I've played Scorpio Girls where I haven't nearly peed. Hang on. If you haven't heard Oh, man, you got to pull that out.
0: Scorpio, off? Scorpio Girls, hang on a sec. Yeah. Hang on, what's, what's the ad? Oh, Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> this episode brought to you by Netflix. No, it's not. It's not really. Are you feeling what I'm feeling? Oh, shut up. Chris Hemsworth. Mm,
1: so this... Uh And it's got great use of a cowbell in this, which we don't do live, but I love <laughs> it on the recording.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: ooh. Ooh, 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 what am I supposed to do? She seemed a nice girl, but she is One, What's going on? I can't understand it. Something went wrong. I'm a saucer man. I try to hide it, but they just keep coming. Bitchin' babes my it. Every single time I'm getting sucked, into it. the stop the yoga the 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 time the I'm the the
1: the Fucking dope yeah, man. song, man. Oh, man. Seriously, if you, <laughs> playing drums on that is like we did it, I think, one of the last big day outs. And, you yeah, know, I, little known fact, a little uh, trade secret, I, I cry sometimes when I'm playing. And I cry sometimes when I'm DJ, I'm By the way, I DJ as well. But yep. uh, if I do a good mix, but. Without fail, Scorpio girls. Uh, by the time I'm hitting the last chorus, the energy of it is so intense that I don't think I haven't ever not cried. Wow, I'm awesome. not. I'm not talking like you know crying. I, in know, the shower, what I know what you're saying. Forwards, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just even now I get goosebumps. Yeah, me. man. And when we did the big day out, um, uh, it, it, just watching, like I, it's like you can can't see where the people stop. Jumping up and down to that chorus, yeah, um, just incredible. Yep. So yeah, that was um, that was pretty cool. But basically, when we were in London at this place, and Carl and Joe were be- were, de- were sort of not really writing, including the rest of the band, and all the songs were, yep. I, I it didn't feel right, it, and I had a funny feeling that um, there was something not happening, and. Um, uh, it's interesting, you know. It's like watching a car crash slowly, and you can't—you either don't do anything about it, or you can't do anything about it. I'm sure if I'd—I'm sure if I was a bit more sort of creatively invested in the band, right. I might have might have brought it up. But I think there was always a part of me at the back of my head that thought I was pretty lucky to be in here, and you know, best
0: best keep to myself, yeah, best thing. keep to myself.
1: And so we ended up doing another European tour, and then we came back to the Stanbridge place to um, do some more writing. And there wasn't really a lot for me to do, so <laughs> I just used to go into London and get wasted and go to dance parties. Uh, t- sorry, Mum. <laughs> <laughs> because I, at the because at the same time as drumming, I was always been a music producer, and yep. and you know I was dabbling in DJing, but it, I was really just liking. Programming samplers and sequences I had an old MC-505 sequencer And I'd program all these beats I think most drummers kind of do it first but And so I, I really It was about that stage Drum and bass was really happening So I'd basically haul us into London On the train And go to drum and bass parties And just It was the best thing ever yep. and, and then Cruise back at 8 in the morning and I wouldn't have missed Much and then at the end of the week We'd go and do shows throughout Europe and then come back to this place So all this time Carl and Joe had been writing All these songs So we finished the last shows Of the tour And I was just sort of Got back to Auckland And then we were called to a meeting at Our managers I knew beforehand I'd spoken to Carl and Joe And they said hey we're going to ask Shay." And Tim to leave the band, and you know, just to remind us, Shay is the beautiful singing voice and awesome rapper and charismatic personality, yeah. Shay Fu. Yeah. Um, and uh, Tim Stewart, who's a great singer, trumpet player, um, who actually fronts a band in Auckland called Hopetown Brown now with Nick, the other horn player. I'm jumping ahead, but that's where we're heading. <laughs> and we met in our uh, the lawyer's office, and uh, basically they just dropped this bombshell on Shay and. Tim, and then the band suddenly became me, Nick, Ben, Joe, and Carl, and we were going to do with Carl and Joe singing, and then that was basically the second Super Groove album, which is my handiwork all over it. But you know, I'm not going to lie to you. It was I really like the record, but it's not a Super Groove record. It's it's some indie rock. Yeah. Thing and yep. it's fine. Got a yep. couple of good songs in there that we, we did okay with. But if there was ever a moment where a band vanished up its ass, right, that would be then. And I don't think I spoke to Shay for
0: ten years after that.
1: And it wasn't until I spoke to many years later, and because you know, as soon as he left Supergroup, he became Shay Fu. And he had um you know his his records, you know chains was massive, he be- it was like, he became bigger than supergroove, yep um and he funnily enough, Paul, the original supergroove drummer played with Shea and that's why like all the the drum parts on all Shay stuff just pff, great paul did his, worked his magic on that as well, so it wasn't till it wasn't till uh we were offered to reform a little over ten years ago twelve years ago now. That – and Shay was, I think, the last person to come on board, obviously. And I sat down with him and I was like, oh, man, you know, oh, sorry about all that, you know, kicking you out and all that. And he goes, I was really devastated. And I said, I was super surprised because I – in my head, I just thought, he's Shay Fu. He's just off being Shay Fu and being awesome and, and finally doing this – finally being the king of his own castle, you know, not, not being part of right. this kind of collective – and um, and I never really I was probably a bit immature to realise That someone like him Really, he loved The brothership of the band He'd earned the right To all the things that You know, he'd done all the shitty tours All the shows, he'd done all the You know, and we used to do school shows as well I remember, so yeah. we'd do like a school show during the day And then two shows at night So he'd put in the hard yards And he was really like really devastated by it, and it really broke my heart. Ten years later, um, or longer, actually, ten years or so later, that I hadn't, I hadn't clocked that. This is one of my best friends who I hadn't spoken to for so long, and uh, I just oh, I was I was really heartbroken. Ooh. But thankfully, um, we had the opportunity to make amends. Uh, a lot of a lot of the um, sort of bad blood that had happened because of the breakup um, was. Thankfully resolved, and we also got the opportunity to play some great shows and reformed. I don't think we'll, I mean I don't think we'll play any more shows, but we we, we recently just finished a tour with Dave Dobbin and Don McgLashen in New Zealand, the big winery tours, and we've done a bunch of those. Yep, and it was so I don't I, I feel so lucky that we got to sort of bookend things right, in a positive yeah, way. That's cool, really cool, yep. and like. You know, Shay's the best now He's got his band in the crates And they're just still killing it over there yeah. uh, he's, he's a legend so yeah. I talk to him, you know, pretty regularly Awesome Which is good So, um, you know, I, I think a lot of the waters have been cleared Which is really beautiful Great Cool, man
0: Okay, and then Alex Lloyd Oh,
1: ah, yes Yes Well, okay um, There's a thing when you podcast a
0: really old dude
1: there's too, <laughs> there's too much shit's happened, bro How old are you? Um, I'm 50 this year
0: Okay, nice too much shit happens when you get to fifty. You're a bloody young-looking fifty-year-old, I tell you. Oh
1: yeah, you know, it's it's all skincare cream and you know, <laughs> goat's blood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's it, it also has a lot to do starting so young too. Yeah. I mean, I I just feel like, um, I feel like I've just been hustling since I was eleven for gigs. Yeah, right. It's just crazy. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I got really um when when super <laughs> super. This is another thing, man. It feels like all my gigs kind of. Bookend on R- R- yeah Yeah, yeah. Uh, when Supergroove Phase 2 had actually got happening, so it was just me, Carl, um, Ben and uh, Nick, we'd done a tour of New Zealand. That was pretty good. It was more of a promo tour. And then we were about to head out on another world promo tour. So all locked in, tickets done. Um, we came over to Australia to do a showcase um, God, I can't remember the year, 98, something like that, 97. It was a year before the Arias. We were supposed to be on tour with the Divinals. They just had their big hit. Oh, no, not tour. We were opening for them at the showcase. So this is the day before the Arias, and it's when the Aria party used to be down at that hotel in Kings Cross. I can't remember the name. Um, so we sound checked this uh, down down with the divinals. And as we're driving back in the van, Carl just says, I don't want to do this anymore. I was like, oh, okay. Like, you don't want to do the showcase gig tonight? No. So that's it. Yep. So we literally drove back. I think it was the underground or something like that was behind, it was behind King's Cross. Yep. Driving to the hotel, which was a hundred meters. Yep. And walking in. And just at that point, all the celebs and massive musos from Australia are arriving. For the Arias And here's us Just broken up We had uh, Had Yak Who used to be the drummer For Jimmy Barnes Great Straight ahead Aussie rock and roll drummer Amazing He also does sound He was booked To do sound for us For the whole tour So we're sitting In the lobby Like just What the fuck just happened And Yak's there With our tour manager Going I'm really sorry But I know we booked you For the next six months But it's not happening And um, The Literally The next day the guys got in a van and drove to the airport, and I just said I'm staying. My drums—I had everything I needed. I had my backpack with weeks worth of undies and whatever else you have. I had my drums, and they were could stay in storage at the hotel. And I just stayed in Sydney. Um, thankfully, because of being in Sydney a lot, I picked up sort of drumming gigs at. There used to be a jam night on Thursdays at the Good Bar. Mm-hmm.
0: There's
1: a fantastic Australian drummer called Angus Diggs. He used to let me sit in, and he offered me his couch. So I went and lived on Angus's couch in Glebe for geez, almost a year. And I used to just get scrapings of gigs that you know he'd let me do, and the song you know, songwriters nights, and anyway, blah blah blah. cut a long story short. I started my own projects with my electronic stuff based on that, and I started getting my own gigs. And through that, um, a friend of mine called Ben Rosen, fantastic bass player, and runs a music company. Now uh, he said, Oh, Alex Lloyd, have you heard of him? He's in Spain, called Mother Hubbard. And I went, Oh, Mother Hubbard, I saw them, they're so shit. <laughs> <laughs> because I was such a, a, a funk rock wanker. And when, when I, I saw Mother Hubbard being all deep and playing these, you know, rock, sort of bluesy rock things, like, oh, they had beards and shit. And I was like, who are these old men? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're younger than me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and and I went, oh, God, okay. Uh, and then Ale- I was playing at the Beach Road Hotel with my band um, Geek, uh, which is basically just me and an NPC and my mate Ben. Awesome. <laughs> it was probably a bit shit, but I was so ignorant, I didn't even care. And uh, oh, my mate Mike Mills on base. And uh, Alex came along and saw that and said, Hey, do you want to? This is just before Black the Sun came out. And I was like, Oh, yeah, cool. You know, great. God, I could do with a gig. You know, I think it was not even a hundred bucks or something. Um, and he said, Do you know any other players? I said, Well, obviously, Mike Mills. Um, and I know this is my friend Barbara Griffin, who I mentioned earlier from Jesus Christ Superstar great player he said awesome um and then we had our first rehearsal he brought along his guitarist from mother hubbard Kenan holt who's fuck you want a good guitar sound man wow what a great sound and that was the beginning of the 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 uh, black the sun band for alex lloyd and um i i started listening to that record and i was just like wow this this is the first time because I I played with Jenny Morris and I played with Kate Sobrano and I I was playing with all these people and who are an amazing artist in their own right, but you always sort of felt like you're in sort of a tribute band. You like you play with Jenny and even though it's Jenny singing, you still felt like you're in a Jenny Morris tri- tribute band. Right. And, and I was always a bit shit. I got fired from her band because I was just a bit shit really. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and she's awesome. I mean, the thing is, yeah. if anyone knows Jenny, she knows that she's fucking... So dope But I just couldn't get my head into it And yep. Same kind of with Kate And a bunch of other people as well I just couldn't really vibe it But when I heard Alex's stuff I just knew it was something super special And I wanted to be part of it Plus production wise as well It ticked all my boxes It had drum loops It had cool drum sounds mm. It meant I could play my um, kit I think I was using an AS, RX By um, Fuck It was such a good sampler in uh, Sonic It, it look, kind of looked like an NPC, But it wasn't I just moved on from NPC, And and so I went around At Alex's place And we must have spent Two weeks Loading everything Into this thing Ooh. It was pretty hard It probably only had About 16 meg of RAM Oh right yeah. we, I, I sequenced Every single song And rebuilt it And then that became The Black the, You know The Black Sun thing And I was playing uh, Real kick Real snare Cymbals And then I had My D drum pads And I was a pig in shit It was my favourite Hybrid you know, I mean it's so common now But I was so happy yep. to be doing it back then And then of course the music and the grooves And you got Terrapi playing on that record You know Oh I didn't know that Yeah Terrapi no. man um, But what's weird is like Alex was so neurotic about the production You know There's um, there's a song called Momo Which is mainly programmed But there's a breakdown section Where Terrapi is just wailing on it mm-hmm. So good <laughs> And it was like, hey, Terrapi, you played on the record. And he goes, oh, I don't know. I, I think I played on some of it. Yeah. I
0: have spoke to him, and um, he was like that. He said he just, it was just stuff he, he just didn't even play, play. he played on. Yeah. It. yeah, it was just that much of it
1: And he's at that stage. Uh, and I was thrilled, too, because, you know, this, this a, uh, he's – like, there's a lot of great – like, Sydney's got no shortage of great drummers. Ooh. But, man, Pie, dude, he's just – you can't even really put your finger on it. Um, he just makes – he just, just gets it. it. Not even playing anything, just gets it. I filled in f- for him on the Whitlam's once and I, uh, and I really started understanding, you know, because when he first got the Whitlam's gig, I thought, that's a bit weird, you know, because I'd originally – I was asked about joining the Whitlam's when I first moved to Glebe and I just – God, I need my head to look that, I swear to God. I said, ah, oh, this is shit music. It was just like barroom piano music and ding ding, ding ding, ding, ding. Yeah. And, I, you know, I've just been in a cool band. Why would I want to do that? I obviously didn't get it. And then years down the track, I'd, I'd heard Louis Badette and I thought, well, that's actually pretty cool, and then no aphrodisiac, um, like Loneliness. and thought, oh, look, that's Actually, that's actually pretty good. Why didn't I hear those songs when they asked me about it? Yeah. Um, but But they never really struck a chord with me until – um, like blow up the pokies When Terrapi came along And I heard how versatile A musician he could be um, as, You know playing that kind of music Because it's not He's not playing rinky, rinky dinky Sort of roly poly jazz He's still playing as tight terrapi, um, Almost a funk uh, Dynamic But with this amazing swing and the sounds are yeah. right and the parts are right. Yeah. Um and like having to do a, a, like a, a tour with those guys playing those parts, man, it was just he just went up another level to me. Yeah, right. So yeah, so going cut back to Black the Sun and and knowing that Terra was on that record, all the boxes were ticked. Yeah, yeah. And Alex Live no one sings like Alex Live, man. Right. If you want a guy who's got that extra 10%, 15% when you think he's got nothing more, pff, he's the dude. Just pff, amazing. Yeah. I've, um, we've done shows with him where he's maybe lost concentration for a second and just drifted a little bit flat. And I'm not talking. I mean, it's, it's the kind of flat that I sing 100% of the <laughs> time. <laughs> okay. But for him, it's like, oh, shit, and he catches himself. but And then he hits it harder and he just goes Bigger and his voice gets rounder and louder right, and just right. amazing. That's, that's interesting, really amazing. So, um, hopefully, we're actually doing a 25th anniversary Black the Sun album tour at the end of the year.
0: Awesome. not do oh, I won't, I won't sh- tell anyone. Just just you and me and the AM. Yes. Yep. Yep, yep.
1: Um So, so that, I'm really looking forward to that. Great. That, that's really good. So, yeah, that's. That's pretty much it. I played with Alex for a lot. And um, it was pretty much after. The, oops, bumped the mic again. It was pretty much during the end of. Uh, I left Alex just. You know, I'll be really honest with you. I was getting really fucked up, basically. I had no money. I was buying a bunch of drugs. Okay. And I could see where it was going. So I left the band and got a real job where I still managed to get drunk and do a bunch of drugs. <laughs> so you be the judge. You be the judge. Yeah. Um, but. It, it, I needed to do it for my sanity, yep. and I'm glad I did because basically he did a couple of tours. I think he had uh, Lee Maloney took over after me, who plays with Diesel. He's I don't know if you've spoken to Lee yet, but no. No, he's a good cat. Um, and then Felix Bloxon after Lee. Talk about him. He's, Felix is kind of in the Terrapi world for me. Okay. Um, if, as far as when you the way there's, there's a certain touch he has on the drums. He just, it's amazing. And then after him, Michael Barker. So I was a bit like, oh shit, you could have got some stink guys. <laughs> yeah. Instead, he just goes out and yes, gets probably man. the three best the guys. Best. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, yeah that, that's great. And, you know, yeah. Uh, Michael Barker, as everyone knows, went on to play with John Butler yep. for a long time and yep. has his own thing. Uh,
0: incredible musician. Yeah. I, I've been following him on Instagram and he, he just a, a credible musician. Yeah, he's a, just a drummer. Like, well, he's you know he studied piano, like, player classical, and, yeah. percussion at university. Yeah, instead
1: yeah. of studying drums because he kind of he said to me, "Well, I sort of can play drums, but I didn't know anything about classical percussion." So, yep, he's he's all over that shit. Yeah, well, that's
0: what that's what Joe did too. Joe, yeah, Carrier. Joe yeah, yeah, same, did the same, same sort thing. Of thing, thing yeah. yeah, yeah. He's another <laughs> guy I want to punch in the face. <laughs> <laughs>
1: cool dude, man. Well, it's yeah. uh, I originally met Joe when Supergroup were on tour, uh, and he was with. Uh, child Brides Floyd Vincent Okay And w- apparently We met in Switzerland I can't remember But Joe can remember it And so that's he- dope But uh, no I, I love Joe Acario And he's another Just uh, Man This is This is what I mean When you move to Sydney right Yeah And I know Australia Is a big place And a lot of great players But when you move to Sydney And you've got The Joe Acarias And you know Kerry Buchanan Was living here as well too you got Kerry Buchanan You've got Andy Gando Yeah and Virg, when Virgil was living here, and yeah. then you've got the Terrapies and the Felix, yeah. Mark Kennedy, and oh, sure. you know, yeah. it just kind of you—you you can get a bit sort of blown away by it all. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually did. I sort of it—it it sort of put me into my hole, and I started focusing more on uh, basically after I'd left Alex and started working for Juice Magazine, doing online content and designing and all that kind of shit. Um, I was writing heaps of electronic music I was cool. going to started djing a lot more um, i 'd really gotten into going to lots of parties and like production 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 and i pretty much left drums behind for a few years and and it wasn 't until alex he asked me to to join the group again and uh, it was good i don 't I think if I'd have stayed with him through the Watching Angels Mend and all that kind of stuff, um, it was so massive for him. He was so successful. Things were so big that I'd, I think I would have hurt myself. Okay. I, that's the reality. Right, I, fair enough. I would have hurt myself. Yep. And I don't want people to think I'm some sort of crackhead who's in and out. No, with, no. But it's no. it's just, you know, there was just something in the back of my mind that said if it's not a sustainable – I was losing track of drumming. Yep. Um, I, I was much more into finishing the gig Yep. and like, cause you know, of it, a lot of the stuff for me is when I learn a gig, I'm at my most focused. And then when I'm on stage, that's my next focus. But once that stuff happens pretty automatically, my next focus after that was, um, okay, I've got the girl I'm currently seeing. We're going to go so-and-so, we're going to pick up some Coke or whatever. Sorry, this is... No,
0: please. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: and we're going to get wasted. Yep. And the trouble is, if you've got a day job, you're still going to do that to a certain extent, but five days of that week, you've got to be pretty onto it, especially the kind of stuff I was doing. But when you're in a band, man, you could literally, you could rehearse Monday, Tuesday, have a few beers. You could be on the road Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and be beers Drugs, beers, drugs, beers, drugs, and by Monday you're just a bag of assholes, and then you're back at rehearsal the next Tuesday. You might not even rehearse the next Tuesday, and um, it just didn't sit well with me. And I'm no angel, but to 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 do things at that kind of level and that consistently, uh, you know, partying, partying. And when I say partying, I mean getting high and drinking. If it becomes a lifestyle that sucks if it's something you do every now and then yeah you're your own boss you do what you want to do yeah but it was becoming a lifestyle for me and i needed to step out so when we started playing with alex again it was great to have that distance he was still singing great songs were still just fantastic band was still great and um technically i'm sort of still playing with him to this day cool yeah a
0: lot lot to unpack huh mate it's been great (laughs) yeah man um I'm extremely grateful that you came out here today and opened up, especially about your mental health stuff, because I think it's good to talk about it. Oh, absolutely! Um,
1: and I'm still, I still, you know, just want to let everyone know I'm not. It's something that I I deal with daily. I I journal every day. Yep. I meditate. Um, I try and eat well. I exercise well. Yep. Uh, I still fall off the wagon. I don't want everyone to think I'm suddenly Mister New Age. But mm-hmm. uh, if you do. If anyone is listening to this and can relate to anything I've said, just go to your GP, get the six re- referrals to a therapist. Yep, it's, it, it's the best thing ever. Yep,
0: best thing ever. I've yeah, I'm, listeners don't know this about me either, but you know, I've I've struggled with mental illness with anxiety for be fifteen years now, and I know what you're saying. It's a daily thing. Yeah, every day. It's a it's a. It's a whirlpool. If you feel it is, yeah, as yeah.
1: as the whirlpool circling, and you feel like you're on it, if you can nip it in the bud before yep. you get. If you get to the center, yep. it's tough shit. You just got yeah. to write it out. Yeah. Um, one of the best things that my therapist told me is that when you're deep dark in the hole, is to just let yourself know that it doesn't last forever. Exactly.
0: It's a, it is a, it's a cycle. Yeah. And yeah. It's just knowing knowing where you are in that cycle and and. Um, when it's sort of getting, starting to get towards that sort of dark part of the cycle, look after yourself a little yeah, bit more. Absolutely, you know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah,
1: well, yeah. So, uh, apart from listening to me just speak shit for ages, <laughs> I, I hope
0: you can take some good out of that. No, man, brilliant. <laughs> really good. Um, Ian Jones, thanks so much for being on the Gig Life podcast podcast. Um, was an absolute, uh, absolute pleasure to not talk properly. <laughs> uh, it's so good. I'll to try him. that again. So good. Thank you, my brother. Yeah, great, Ian. Cheers, man. Later, brother. Cheers.